Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, this is Aaron X. This is a podcast about the transformation of the maritime shipping and ocean space. It's powered by Fathom World, and I'm your host, Craig Eason. If you work in the maritime and shipping industries or are interested in them, then you will know that there is discussion about how the industry as a whole can and needs to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. There have been some efforts already, though these have focused on how to get ships to reduce fuel consumption by being designed better or being operated more effectively. There is criticism of the industry. This goes back to when international shipping and aviation were left out of the earlier discussions at the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. That's the body that drew up the Kyoto Protocol and the more recent Paris Agreement. Both agreements actually left it to the IMO, another UN body, to tackle ships' greenhouse gas emissions. The IMO, or the International Maritime Organization, is a UN agency. So it works on paper just the same as the other UN bodies, such as the UNFCCC. But the member states that send delegates to the IMO committee meetings in London, particularly the environmental ones, are often influenced as much by commercial decisions as they are by safety and environmental ones. Additionally, there are many other organisations that have a seat in these committee meetings under a non-voting consultative status. But now, the IMO has tasked its member states to send representatives to special meetings to talk about both short-term and long-term measures that international shipping needs to have in place. The reason is that the IMO member states have finally agreed that by 2050, shipping will have halved its CO2 emissions by at least 50% compared to the 2008 figure. They just haven't decided how. Now, the 2008 figure came from one of the IMO's greenhouse gas studies that's been compiled to help with these deliberations. The third greenhouse gas study of 2014 can be downloaded from the IMO.org website. In one of the first tables in the report, one can see that shipping, all shipping, accounted for 3.5% of global CO2 emissions, while international shipping, the types of shipping that the IMO has some say over, accounts for 2.9% which, according to the report authors, is 921 million tonnes of CO2 emitted every year. Now, if one looks at international shipping's emissions in totality, including all the other greenhouse gases, that comes to an equivalent of 940 million tonnes of CO2 annually. This 940 million tonnes is spread across the global fleet, so with the agreement that by 2050 it needs to be less than half, it means it's got to be less than 470 million tonnes or less. But here's the problem. There will likely be a lot more ships in service in 30 years as global trade predictions account for increased prosperity in developing countries. So while the emissions from global shipping need to more than halve in totality, on a ship-for-ship basis, they need to be a lot, lot less. So this is why shipping needs to use new, sustainable clean fuels and solutions, but it needs research and development to do this. Within the IMO discussions on the long-term measures, there is reference to the need for a potential 
establishment of a research and development fund. This idea has now been taken up by the shipowner groups. Up until the Paris UNFCCC and the now famous agreement, it was not uncommon to find shipowner representative groups a little reluctant to agree to shipowners paying money. Earlier talks about a market-based measure, either a levy or emissions tax or trading scheme at the IMO, stalled very quickly as both member states and shipowner representatives clashed. But things have changed. The main shipowner groups have now come together and developed their own plan for research and development funding. Eight organisations representing various shipowner groups have put their name to a proposal that has now been submitted to the IMO for discussion by its member states when they next meet to discuss environmental issues. One of the main backers of the paper is the International Chamber of Shipping, which is an association representing a large number of national shipowner groups around the world. ICS has been quite vocal in the past about any measure to tackle climate change in shipping by using shipping as a cash dispenser or a cash cow. ICS is also adamant that the IMO should be the place to tackle shipping's climate change response. This is important because the European Commission has now started to threaten to bring shipping into the European Emission Trading Scheme as part of the region's so-called New Green Deal. Critics of the ICS and other shipowners' proposal have said as much that it's a stalling method, although these critics are also generally critical of the IMO and its slow progress in tackling climate change. But regardless of the cynicism about the shipowners' proposal, there is no denying that it is probably the first time that the major shipowner groups have collectively put their name to the idea that their members should pay a small amount based on fuel purchases to help build a multi-million dollar fund that can be spent exclusively on decarbonisation technologies and strategies. I spoke to the ICS about the proposal and what they think will happen, bearing in mind that this fund will not be formed by the shipowners or their associations, but by a body that the IMO member countries will have to agree to. I don't know whether you just want to introduce the fact that you've got the Secretary General and Deputy Secretary General of ICS here, Guy Platten and Simon Bennett, and we can just say hello to you. I talked to Guy Patton, ICS Secretary General, and to Simon Bennett, ICS's Deputy Secretary General. And I started by asking Guy Patton how he thinks this fund is going to be formed. Uh, hi, Craig. Um, yeah, indeed. We, uh, we recognise that shipping has got to uh, really make more strident steps to decarbonise if we're going to meet the ambitious targets set by the IMO to uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% for 2050. That's in the, uh, effectively going to mean a 90% reduction in emissions from ships for ships in the, in the 2030s. So we need to start moving now. But we really need that research to be done to produce um, uh, uh, solutions at scale, particularly for transoceanic voyages. So the idea behind the fund is a mandatory research and development contribution um, made by all ships on every tonne of fuel they burn. And this fund, which will uh, elicit about $5 billion, we reckon, over the next 10 years, can be then used to actually fund this research and to get these things at scale. So we actually are in the best possible chance to be able to meet those ambitious targets. So that's the, the thinking behind it. We believe it can uh, be put in place within three to four years. There's uh, goodwill from all sides. 
We believe it can be done within existing conventions without having to set up a new convention. Um, because we're making it mandatory, it means it's, a, it's everyone will have to contribute to that fund. We envisage an independent um, international maritime research and development board, which will come under the auspices of IMO, the auspices of oversight from IMO, but they will then make the funding decisions to, uh, to, for these research projects. We also hope to uh, leverage more money by partnering with people to do this research. So, in fact, that $5 billion could be $10 billion or more if uh, we do it in the right way. So that's the sort of the general principles behind it. Um, there's been a huge amount of work that's gone into it. Um, Simon has been really closely involved in that detailed detailed work and uh, would probably want to comment as well. Yeah, Simon, uh, the, the, the fund proposal itself, the idea of the fund isn't exactly new at the IMO. I know in some of the proposals, in some of the papers early, earlier, there was some reference to an R&D fund. So how does this take that further? Well, the key thing to emphasise is that under previous discussions, the focus was on developing a possible market-based measure. And it's really important to understand that what we are proposing is not a market-based measure. It's specifically focused on research and development. What's different to um, previous discussions about research and development is that ICS, together with the other international associations, has worked out a really detailed proposal. So we have a mechanism that we believe would actually work and would do the things that we want to deliver, um, but without creating some of the problems of market distortion or funds not being used for the purpose that they should be used for. And although a lot of work would still need to be done by IMO member states now that we've made this proposal, uh, we, we genuinely believe that this is a, a comprehensive proposal that, um, and we now have um, answers to most of the questions that we expect to come from governments when we um, formally submit this proposal to the IMO Marine Environment Committee at their meeting at the end of March. So what kind of responses have you been getting then from the IMO member states that are going to be discussing this when MEPC next meets? I think generally it's been positive. Um, and I think people see this as a tangible idea, as a tangible proposal, and it merits discussion. You know, um, you know and people start you know, talking about some of the, the challenges it might come with. And I think that's a good thing because it means they're buying into the, the, the whole concept. I mean, we have to do something as an industry. And we have to do it in partnership with governments. We, you know, and, and this is a, a a good proposal from industry to move this whole agenda forward. So, you know, we've had some, I think, pretty good reaction. Um, a lot of questions, as you would expect. And let's get that debate going. So, um, as Simon said, it's being introduced by the next MEPC, and that will really start that debate in in full earnest. Then, and uh, and hopefully reach the, the positive outcome which we anticipate. But one of the things that always happens at MEPC, one of the things that always happens at the IMO committee meetings is the discussions could really go in any direction. They, they could be amended quite heavily. You've taken this proposal, which you're quite proud of, and I can understand why, but you're handing it over to the IMO member states who could really do what they want with it and amend it to be more suitable for what the certain member states are looking for. I mean, sorry, I'm starting to comment after after this, but 
of course, we recognise that once it's out in the in the IMO, it's, it's subject to, to comment and, and debate and amendment. Um, but we believe we, we've hopefully gone done such a thorough job as well that it will be a great starting point, which is what we're at, the idea behind it. I think the, the first thing is to get it out into the open now. That's our first priority. And then to start that debate that, that Simon can, can talk a little bit more about that. Yes, and the, the industry associations that have developed this proposal in, with the full support of their, their members, they're fully aware that there is some risk involved and that this proposal is likely to evolve once member states start considering it. That said, we've thought very carefully in order to design a proposal that we think will appeal to all sides of the debate amongst governments. So whether it's the, the high ambition nations or whether it's the more conservative IMO member states that have legitimate concerns about the impacts of such proposals on their trade and economic development. So we, we, we think that by coming up with a proposal specifically with a quantum of two US dollars per tonne of marine fuel, that we've got something that can be acceptable to developing countries and those member states that are somewhat more cautious about um, collecting money from the industry. So you think you've got a price level effectively that has got the right kind of balance for all of the member states, whether it's the high ambition states or those that are a little bit more cautious about the impact this may have? We'll have to see um, how member states react, but we have tried to um, arrive at a figure that we think can be acceptable to, to all, recognising again that the purpose of this money is purely for research and development. And we've done background research, we use consultants to identify how much money would realistically be needed to kickstart and accelerate R&D so that we're in a position to have the first fully working prototypes of commercially viable zero carbon ships arriving in the 2030s. And, and they concluded that the sums of money we're talking about, roughly 5 billion, potentially slightly more over a 10 year period, would be sufficient to achieve what we are trying to do. So those who might question whether or not $2 looks like a rather low sum of money has to be appreciated. This is purely for research and development. And actually experience of um, other similar funds suggests that if you actually collect too much money, you actually have a danger of working out how you are going to spend it. It's a, strange, it's a strange risk to have then, isn't it? Well, not really. It's, I mean, it, it's, you know, first of all, how much money do you need to do to accelerate the research, as Simon said? Where does that then filter down to a price per tonne? And so this, is, this is absolutely not a market-based measure. This is a research and development contribution. And this is set at a level which we believe uh, can meet the aspirations of, of the different member states. Um, and so, uh, you know, this, this money, $500 million a year, uh, will really um, catalyze and kickstart that research. How do you see that actually happening? Because I know there's a lot of, there are, there's not a lot, but I know that there are some key projects that are already ongoing. There's money from the European Union, for example. There's money in certain member states. Norway, I'm aware of, has got a, a large investment program looking at uh, the development of fuel cells and batteries on various ships. The use of hydrogen is already 
um, under examination. So how do you see this $500 million a year contributing to that when some of those solutions are already being developed by certain manufacturers of the solutions? I think we certainly don't want to reinvent the wheel and we certainly want to build on the research that others are doing as well. Um, but it's still uh, it's quite piecemeal, all the different research projects we're going on. Uh, I do believe a, uh, an international sort of board which can bring all these things together and which can really focus on what needs to, to be concentrated on uh, will add real value. Um, and with sizable sums of money, like $500 million, that's a, that's a lot to, uh, to, to kickstart an awful lot of research. That's Guy Platten and Simon Bennett, Secretary General and Deputy Secretary General of ICS, the International Chamber of Shipping, talking to me about how the IMO could establish an international greenhouse gas research development fund formed by ship owners paying $2 per tonne on their bunker fuel. In a future episode, I plan to talk to one of the critics about the fund, the European Green Lobby Group, Transport and Environment. Well, that's it for this episode of Aronax. Please remember to share, comment and subscribe to both Aronax and the weekly Fathom World newsletter on the transformation of the shipping, maritime and ocean space.